Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Hmm. Today is Monday, May 11th. It's an overcast Monday here in Santa Fe. They say we should get rain later. Rain would be good. We'll take overcast and rain above that wind. Or that wind was really bad. Um, a very tumultuous, turbulent, twisty wind. How's that for some alliteration? Yet even on one of my hanging baskets, I wire them up because I've learned. Did I? This feels familiar. Did I say this on Friday? Um, oh, I think this happened since. I, I did mention that I have learned, and so I wire them up. But um, the big pink petunia baskets have wire hangers. No, wire hangers! It's, you get points if you can identify that. Uh, but two of the wires on one of them um, twisted so much that they broke. And so my poor basket was up there swaying, hanging by the two remaining wires. So I had to take it down and I'm going to have to repair it. I need to figure out how because... I want it to be the same height as the other basket, and I want it to be level. So, you know, it's not simply a matter of just twisting the wires back on, because that'll shorten it, right? It's a, it's a major puzzle. <laughs> so, I had a good weekend. I um, Saturday was really nice because I just didn't do a whole hell of a lot. I was... Just not in the mood to have obligations. And I've mentioned this before, um, you know, with all of the things on video, it's great that we're able to do all of these video meetings. But I am feeling so increasingly done with video meetings to the point where I'm just cutting it down to the bare minimum. Um, I didn't do yoga Partly because I was feeling lazy, but also because I didn't feel like turning on the freaking computer and streaming it. And then I ended up, you know, we had a Lyra meeting on Saturday, too. And I thought about, you know, I was really planning to do that. And it was the same. I just couldn't bear to get back on Zoom yet again. I was at a party on Friday night on Zoom for the uh, Nebula finalists. <clears throat> which was, I felt like I had to attend as a board member. I was encouraged to attend as a board member. So, you know, it was like some of these things feel like obligations. Today, I am doing a Zoom or a Skype, actually. We're going to do Skype interview with uh, Jesse Mahalik and Sarah Younger, fabulous agent. So, I mean, that'll be fun, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of feeling like, eh, only the, the Zoom interviews, video interviews I have to do. So it was really nice because it was a pretty day on Saturday. And so I hung out in the Great Barber and read. I was still finishing A Discovery of Witches. I read most of the second book. And, I mean, it did hold my attention. There were a lot of things that I enjoyed about the story. But... I ended up finally bailing at like 90%, which is funny, right? You know, because it's like I made it through 90% of 600 pages and I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, 
<laughs> I kept thinking, oh, just you're so close. Just finish and find out what happens. And it was like I knew exactly what was going to happen. And, and I was frustrated with that because I had known exactly what was going to happen for a really, <laughs> I don't know how many pages it worked out to be. Um, let's see if it's, I don't know exactly how many pages it is. Um, I had known for a couple of pages, 100 pages probably exactly what was going to happen. And, you know, a lot of the emotional arc in the story should have worked. It, there was nothing particularly wrong with it, except that I don't think the author was feeling it. And I don't know the author, but I do know from her notes, you know, I always read the acknowledgments and stuff, that um, when she wrote A Discovery of Witches, she, she made a comment in her acknowledgments about her agent um, taking it in stride when she said that her next book would not be um, uh, academic history, or maybe it was fictional history, I don't know, would not be an historical, but would instead be, no, because she said would be a novel, and that her agent took it in stride. And apparently the book was originally, Evergreen mentioned this in comments, marketed as a Harry Potter for grown-ups or something like that. And uh, it's nothing like Harry Potter. But, you know, they really did get the marketing machine behind it. Because that first book was a bestseller and it was in hardback and all of these things. And, you know, and I think they were sort of going with the whole vampire romance thing. And the the romance was was compelling in the first book. I enjoyed the romance in the first book. And the second book... The romance could have worked, um, the romantic arc, because it was kind of the continuation of their relationship. They had a lot of things to resolve. Um, there were several moments that should have been big emotional climactic moments, and I just didn't feel them. And I think that the author doesn't particularly love romance. Um, she's never been part of the romance community that I know of. I you know, haven't ever seen her at conventions or um, you know, like part of any of the things. And it could be that she's sort of um, like Diana Gabaldon, who insists that she does not write romance, you know, the author of Outlander. You know, they're sort of like they have a romance in the book, but then they, they want to stay away from the romance taint. And so they don't delve into the emotions in the book. They They sort of have the, they sort of tell you about the emotions, but you don't feel the emotions. So that part didn't really work for me. And it it was really a second book. And it's funny because I've been having um, conversations with people. Melinda asked me about this in our interview the other day. And she said, um, you know, was, was very complimentary about The Fiery Crown and saying that it does not feel like a second book. Although she is a fan of The Two Towers, the middle book of... I, I should say the middle book. Um, that doesn't feel like the middle book of a trilogy. Um, but she loves the two towers. Although it turns out it's mostly because of all the horses. <laughs> and no slogging through Mordor, which I tend to agree with. Um, the two towers is the middle book of the Lord of the Rings, for those who don't know. And is rather famously regarded as the classic bridge book 
in which very little happens. <laughs> it's um, just sort of connects the first and third books in the story. And there's a, important things that happen in the two towers, but it is um, it is ponderous and it is there's there's not a huge arc to it, and I do think that's a big piece of it. And what's happened in Deborah Harkness's trilogy, and I am not going to read the third book because obviously if I couldn't read the last 10% of that one, and I think it was only eight because I do check and the acknowledgments were on at 98%. So I was very close. But um, I was also annoyed with how she was, the direction that she was going because it was so pat and kind of silly. Um. And, and she was violating her own world rules, and that's annoying to me. So she, um, oops, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Oh, so, and, and cover your ears for a minute if you don't want to be spoiled, but these books have been out for a long time, so, so there. You know, at the end of the first book, they decide that they have to go back in time, and they have these reasons to go back in time, which they seem to lose track of constantly in the second book. <laughs> and every once in a while, they come back to it, and they're like, oh, but you know, remember, we came back in time to do this thing, so maybe we should go do this thing. It's like, you think? Um, it's also badly planned out. Um, that's another problem is that Matthew acts out of character constantly and for dramatic effect and that's another one of my pet peeves i don't like to call it a pet peeve i it's one of my things that i get really annoyed with when um writers of all types too i think um tv screenwriters tend to be most guilty of this especially with long-running series because they kind of run out of stuff but you know it's like don't <laughs> Okay, we're getting very spoilery. There's this whole thread with, because um, they're back in Elizabeth Elizabethan England. Why is that hard to say? And so they're hanging out with Christopher Marlowe, who has been a friend of Matthew's back in the day when he was actually alive in that time. And Christopher Marlowe is in love with Matthew, which worked. I thought that was fine. And he's terribly jealous of the heroine. Diana, and he, throughout the book, um, is sabotaging her, you know, revealing her secrets to you know, people who would, like, want to kill her for being a witch, and near the end, somewhere near that 90% mark, he actually flat out tries to kill her, and this has been obvious all along, and Matthew was supposed to be this hugely super protective, um, you know, vampire who, you know, and, and she keeps coming back to, you know, oh, how protective he is. And, and he knows this. He knows this about Christopher Marlowe and does nothing about it. And when, and Diana even, like, continues to try to be friendly to Christopher, which makes zero sense. And... So it was just ridiculous. And so that was one of the things that broke me at the end was this whole, um, you know, having a character show up who had been mentioned before, at least. But uh, Matthew's sister, Louisa, all of a sudden appears at the end, and she and Christopher conspire to kill Diana. 
in this very dramatic and stupid way because you know it's like one of those things where if they just killed her it would have been so much easier but no they have to make a game of it and of course she you know is stops them and is rescued but it was just crazy because everything else every other way that matthew had behaved all that time uh he would never have allowed christopher marlowe to continue to be around diana i think he would have killed him you know and i think matthew would have done it you know the whole way his character set up it would have been like fuck history i don't care i'm killing him now um that's that's what his character was like and if you don't want him to be that way well tough that's the character you wrote so anyway that was that was all frustrating and kind of a long uh deviation but i think uh yeah, I don't know. I think maybe, you know, she said that she wrote the first book, A Discovery of Witches, because she started thinking about, well, if vampires and witches and other immortal creatures existed, what would they do for a living? And so it was kind of a, and you know, that was sort of the grounding of the beginning of them being academics and researchers. And so this whole thing where they're like, spend this whole second book back in history where they're just sort of running around forgetting about their goals and doing silly things, you know, was a big indulgence in history. I agree with a lot of the reviews on that. And then it was all this, um, <laughs> you know, basically a side story. And now I'm sure at the end of the book, they'll go back to modern times and then they'll have the actual conflict. And, you know, basically you don't need any of that story that happens in the, in the middle book and i could have told you at the beginning of the book even exactly what key plot point was going to go into place to justify things from the first book and to set up the third and it was yeah so then i finally bailed on it because i was waiting to read network effect which is the new murder bot novel from martha wells i had read the four novellas previously and um, and it's great. It's really great. So that's been fun. And then we bought a car Saturday afternoon. <laughs> uh, we made an appointment. We did a lot of research online and made an appointment with a dealer and went in and we bought a Jeep Patriot. So that's a new member of our family. Should be really great for lugging the kayaks around and taking long distance trips and so forth. So that was excellent. Um, oh, and I was going to mention something else that Melinda said, and I'm, I need to make a note to write a, a spoilery blog post for after the Fiery Crown publishes. Um, I would like to discuss alternate endings because one question Melinda asked me was uh, about my alternate you know, that she, she thought that I was going to end it in a different place that I did, speaking of endings. And we talked about my reasons for doing that, which were partly because editor Jenny uh, wanted it a particular way. And I agreed with her. Um, I could tell Melinda thought I maybe should have fallen on my sword on that one, but I, I did want it. I, I was fine with I told Jenny it can end this way or this way, and she said, I think it should be this way. But then after we stopped the recording, we talked about it a little bit more. So there was this like 
extra conversation that you guys won't get to see. Uh, this is the video that'll be up for the Jean Cocteau Beastly Books um, event that won't be. Uh, it'll be up on the YouTube channel. I'll link to it and stuff. But uh, she told me after we stopped recording that she had thought, I, she told me where she thought I was going to end it. And that, that surprised me. I was like, whoa, that would have been like a George R. R. Martin ending. And she's like, yeah, only... I can't remember what she said. She said something funny. She, you know, like only without guts on the floor or something like that. But um, then she said, because, you know, Melinda is a screenwriter and she wrote for Star Trek Next Generation for many years and was a showrunner and she's still working on another show. And so she was telling me, she said, oh, yes. I said, well, maybe if they make a mini series of these books, that's where it would end. And she said, yes. She says, that's exactly what I thought, that that's where we would end season one on that scene. And she said, and I even wanted to make a note, my screenwriter self was wanting to make a note of like what the final image would be as the as it camera fades out. There's something very cool about talking with a screenwriter about how they would film your book. So uh, that'd be great if that happened. Um not not uh, entirely likely, but I love that idea. And I will do a blog post on, on it once the book is out. Uh, and we'll have an alternate endings conversation. And then the final thing I wanted to mention was I read... The other thing I did on Saturday was I screwed around on the internet, which I'm not normally allowed to do when I'm trying to get work done. And I came across this article about... Um, William Golding's The Lord of the Flies, which apparently, like, we all had to read. And if you didn't read it, it's about this group of boys, all boys, who get stuck on an island and how they revert to brutality. And this was an amazing article, and I will link to it in the show notes, about a real-life instance where this happened, where... Six boys in, like, 1965 Australia were bored at their Catholic school, and they stole a fishing boat and sailed off and were shipwrecked in a storm and stranded on an island for 15 months. And the real-life story of this was is that they worked cooperatively. One of them ended up falling off a cliff at one point and broke his leg, and the others splinted it, and it healed really well. The doctors were amazed when the boys were finally rescued. They uh, managed to make a fire and then took turns, uh, shifts of rotation, keeping that fire going so that it would never burn out. They kept that fire going for 15 months, all of them taking turns, staying awake all night, feeding that fire. Collected rainwater and hollowed out logs. Um, eight birds, and it was, I, I thought it was just so fantastic because one of the things I've mentioned repeatedly is that it really annoys me, this whole perception that somehow a post-apocalyptic world, we will immediately go to brutality and savagery where women are basically rape bait and the men are uh, the strongest to survive. And 
And it was interesting to read that William Golding himself, the author of The Lord of the Flies, was apparently a miserable human being. Um, he was prone to depression. He was an alcoholic. He was a child abuser. So his bleak and twisted perception of the world got encoded in The Lord of the Flies. And we all read this book as children and accepted this as as a truth of human nature. And I feel so, I'm, I'm almost angry about it. It's like, what the fuck, dude? You know, and so the next time somebody says something to me about romance, you know, like you're able to predict the ending or, you know, that it's um, not substantive or something, you know, I really want to try out this story and say, yeah, maybe it's not interesting to read about the six boys who supported each other and successfully survived this trial and got off their island again. You know, wow, happy ending. And, you know, it turns out that they weren't savage and awful. You know, that's not nearly so interesting as killing the fat kid and breaking his glasses. But what? why are we so, you know, do we only care about the dark side of human nature? And even when we have to make it up and imagine it. So that's my rant for the day. And that's plenty of time. Oh, I should mention, I have, um, thank you for suggestions on uh, interviewees. I have more author interviews lined up. Um, we are going to have Beverly Jenkins. She will be on in June. And Nalini Singh is going to be on, probably not till like November. That's when her next release is. So she said, let's do it then. And Marcella Bernard is going to be on. And Grace Draven is going to be on. Um, end of this week, I will be interviewing Jesse Mahalik. But I will put up, um, I'll have to figure out a way to post the upcoming interviews. But keep those suggestions coming, even the pie in the sky ones. I'm, I'm going to see if I can get... An interview with Robin McKinley. Why the hell not, right? She's one of my heroes. So you all take care. You have a great Monday. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Oh, first cup of coffee. I'm part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network. You can find other podcasts you will love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Take care. Bye-bye.